0: It up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1910. This week I'm celebrating the Hilton Head Island Concord Elegance and Motoring Festival that takes place over November 5th, 6th, and 7th on Hilton Head Island. To learn more and get tickets, go to hhiconcore.com or just Google Hilton Head Concorde. with a very special guest, a guy I've wanted to have on this show for years and years. I finally got him. His name is Paul Ianario. Paul, welcome to Carja. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yes, Mark, I am, and thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Now, before we get started, two things I want to tell our listeners. Poor Paul's got a little bit of a horse throat, because he uh, was down at Pebble Beach during Car Week this year, and he's the kind of guy that everyone comes up to and talks to so bear with him a little bit today but before we start Paul I want to ask you this question what's one little thing and this may be hard that most people don't know about you?
1: Okay well that would have to be something that's non-automobile related because it's almost a given that if it's anything to do with car world it's going to be cars but I truly have a love for architecture and older the architectural subject the better I like it. In fact, is uh, I loved it when I was in sc- high school, and I actually got a, a grant to go to Clemson University for five years. They have a very good architectural program and study architecture there. So I thought, oh, I'm going to commit my life to this. I need to, to know more about it. So that summer I got out of high school. I went to work for a local architect and worked at it earnestly, and he was a good mentor. He taught me everything I needed to know. But at the end of three months, I had already figured out that if if I wanted to be an architect and live in the South, which I did, that I was going to spend my whole life drawing houses and changing the size of the dining room because the owner couldn't decide how big a table she wanted. Uh And so I decided I wanted to do big things, mausoleums and and huge buildings and all. But to do that, I had to move to the Northeast northeast or the west coast or something like that so my my second love was all things mechanical yep and so i went to work for a company called babcock and wilcox and they were just starting their co-op program so i was their first guinea pig uh and i can remember them sitting me down and saying now if you do well in this program you're going to open the door for many young people in the future and if you don't we're going to shut the program down. Oh gosh! Well, I felt like I was carrying the responsibility of the world on my shoulders. No kidding. The personnel manager, a guy named Marion Dasher, was my mentor, and it was funny. He started out and he would go over the subjects I picked, and he would talk to me and he'd say, "Now, all these subjects, we don't want anything less than a B minus." Uh, but before I got out of there, it was we won't take anything less than an A. Wow! And the problem was. If for some reason you didn't get a passing grade, they quit paying. And so I was working full-time and going to school full-time. And in those days, it wasn't like co-op in the day where you go a semester at work and you go a semester at school. Back there, you worked full-time and went to school full-time. So it was a full-time job. Well, I was lucky that I was put in that position because, number one, it made me realize the impact that I could have on people around me. Uh, it also motivated me to study because I was one of those guys that said, I'm not going to let this thing beat me. I'm just not going to do it. And I went ahead and enrolled. I went to a college called Augusta College, and basically any college in the University of Georgia system, uh, you, can, you can go to that school and take courses from it. So I took my engineering classes through Georgia Tech, uh, and after I I got my general engineering or associate's degree, they said, Nate, you have to specialize. And I thought, well, what does that mean? Well, you have to be a civil or electrical or chemical. And I said, well, I like them all. <laughs> they said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to specialize. So that just got all over me because in the in the early 60s when I was in school, everybody I knew, including myself, was a little bit of a rebel. We didn't want anybody telling us how to do anything. <laughs> so I made my mind up. I was drinking a beer one night. I thought, you know, Every field of engineering has its start in the field of physics. And if I could be a good physicist, nobody could tell me what kind of engineer I had to be. There you go. So I wanted to get enrolled in the University of Georgia physics program, and I was there about a year and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I don't have near enough mathematics. So I started taking math classes. By the time I finished up, I'd taken every single math class they offered. And I ended up, after six years in college, with an associate's degree in engineering from tech and a bachelor's degree in physics and a bachelor's degree in mathematics from University of Georgia.
0: Well, gee, Paul, you're not much of an overachiever. <laughs> no, no, I just wasn't going to fail. Yeah. I
1: just wasn't going to fail. You know, when you're working, you're an EIT engineer in training You have to have a licensed engineer recommend you for the exam. And I had a half a dozen because I'd been working as senior draftsman for six years in the engineering department. So in 12 months after I graduated from college, I had mechanical licenses in three states.
0: Yeah, well, this is a little precursor to uh, to a guy who uh, has been around and done a lot today. Let me give you a, a proper introduction, and we're going to talk a bit about your involvement with the Hilton Head Concours and so many other things. Paul Ionario is the chief judge at the Hilton Head Concord Elegance Motoring Festival. He's a retired engineer, as he spoke about, who spent more than 40 years in the automotive supplier industry with 20 years spent at Michelin Tire Corporation. You'll like this, Paul. All my cars run on Michelins. After retiring from after retiring from Michelin in 1996, Paul started his own business and is the president of SLR Support Services. His company provides consulting services and support for museums and vehicle related events. He was direct of the aaca museum for 15 years has consulted and served at automotive museums and events and owns several dozen very rare automobiles he judges numerous prestigious concours events participates in rallies and tours and is the recipient of the prestigious lee iacocca award for his contributions in preserving automotive history what a life we'll be back in just a minute but first a word from our sponsors so sit tight keep the seatbelts on and we'll be right back Are you ready to get out and hit the road? Boy, I sure am. This country has so much to offer and what better way than to get out and drive. Covercraft protects the things that move you from protective covers for the outside of your vehicles to the inside with dash covers, seat covers, and sunscreens, all creatively designed to keep your vehicle cool for those roadside stops for a meal or to take in the view. Covercraft custom tailors their designs for your special vehicles and manufacturers with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Road trips can be hard on your vehicle surfaces, so protect them. And when you get home, cleanup is fast and easy. And you want to get a deal? Well, I've got one just for you. Use the code YA21 at covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Compliments. Of course, yeah. Simply use the code YEAH21, yeah, 21 at checkout. I've been protecting my vehicles with Covercraft covers since 1975. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Go to covercraft.com today. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he asked me about American collector's insurance. He said, While I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy, and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance. Designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collectors Insurance. (laughs) So, Paul, we are back. So let's start off by talking about your involvement with the Hilton Head Concord Elegance. You're involved with pretty much every Concord, I think, on the planet. You're one of the busiest guys who ever said he retired, but I don't believe it. I don't think that's in your your uh, your personality. So tell us a little bit about your impressions of Hilton Head Concord Elegance, because this is a wonderful three-day event. There's a lot more than just the Concord involved, right?
1: Yes, and in fact, I want to clarify some things for you. It's actually a 10-day event. Normally we start over in Savannah with Vintage Racing on Hutchison Island. We stay there that weekend. We do some tours in Savannah. And then about midweek, we move 30 miles up the coast to Hilton Head. And then we have some tours there and activities. Uh, Friday night, for instance, we have a hangar party with Vintage uh, planes and cars. And then Saturday, we have Club Day and other various car meets, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. And it's all a pep rally ended up Sunday for the concourse. We have north of 20,000 people in attendance. And most of them come and stay the whole 10 days. Because if you only came one day, you had a great day. If you come all 20 days, you go home and your mind's blown.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like Car Week in one big event. It, It is.
1: It is. I've started a number of other Concours and other car events. One of them I started. I was the curator for the BMW Museum for twenty years, and it occurred to me there's a lot of car shows featuring American cars, but at that time there were few of any that featured European cars. So I started an event called the Euro Auto Festival, uh, and it was only for European cars. And I would do it on the lawn of the museum. And sometimes we would we'd always have at least four or five hundred on the lawn, but sometimes I would would secure a couple of rows at a parking lot and we'd have another two or three hundred there so real quick over a period of 25 years it became known as the largest european car show on the east coast but i've had meteor types tell me it's probably the largest in the whole united states and it's not about the cars because my thinking at the time was that all these people go all year long to a car show and clean their cars and they butt heads over points and stuff. And I said, we're going to do a car show for the people. We're going to recognize the owners. So our our mantra was bring something you're proud of. Drive it. Don't even clean it up unless you just want to. Bring your folding chair. We're going to put you in groups so you're always sitting with like-minded owners and enjoy each other's company. Talk about what you've done this year, what you plan to do next year, and relax. So it's always about Southern hospitality and the owners relaxing. Well, as, as I just said, we're in our, 20, we would have had our 25th year show two years ago, except for COVID. And this year, we, we had to bump it again. So we're postponing our 25th anniversary until next year. Uh, but we've still have been doing little things to keep people abreast of what we're doing. Uh, and we're anticipating going back full-blown again next year. Well, one day, I got a call from a gentleman. I did not know. He said, Paul, my name is Dale Moss. And I said, yes, sir. He said, i come to your European show every year. I love it. I live at Hilton Head. And I said, yes, sir. He said, we had two major tourist attractions here. One was the family tennis circles and one was the PGA golf tournament. We just lost the family tennis circles. And we're looking to do something that will maybe help bolster or plug up that, that void. And we're thinking a car show. So a bunch of us met. And it turns out we realized we don't know anything about a car show. And I told everybody, the best car show I've ever been to is the Euro Auto Festival. So they've asked me to call you up and find out if you'd come down and and talk to us about how to start a car show. And whatever your fee is, we'll pay it. And I said, wait a minute. Uh, Is this Hillman Island, that's still part of South Carolina, right? He said, yeah. I said, then there's no charge because I'm all for having great car shows in South Carolina. But I would like uh, somebody to help reimburse my gas costs at hotel costs. And I do need to bring my wife down because we always travel together. He said, okay, not a problem. You can stay at my house. <laughs> well, he lived, on, he lived on an island called Rebo Island, which is a very upscale neighborhood uh, in the Hilton area. And in fact, his guest house was extremely nice. But the shocking thing was, it was bigger than the house my wife and I lived in. <laughs> yeah. And when we pulled up in the driveway, there was a brand new BMW E65, which was the new 7 Series that had just come out. And I looked at my wife and I said, whoa, this guy, he's got a brand new 7 Series BMW. Yeah. So we go up to the door and ring the bell. And I said, Dave, you didn't tell me you owned an E65. He said, what, that car? I said, yeah. He said, that's not my car. That's your car. I said, do what? He said, I told the BMW dealership on the island you were coming, and they sent that car over for you to drive while you're down there.
0: Oh, nice.
1: (laughs) Then we we had breakfast with the team, very enthusiastic team, and they told me, we've already rented a space. It's about five or six acres. And I said, where? It's behind the shopping center here on the island. They just put in all new wiring for campers and stuff. Uh, and we gave the city $50,000 to let us use it. And that's what we wanted to do the show. And I said, well, I need to go look at it. So we all got in cars and drove over there. Nice space, but little electrical boxes sticking up all over the place. And so if you turn and look at the building, you had dumpsters and stuff behind it. So if you turn and look the other way, there was time water. So I said, okay, what are we going to do next? He said, we're going to lunch. So we went to lunch. After lunch, I said, gentlemen, we got a problem here. That space is never gonna work because nobody wants to go to a car show on Hilton Head and see the back of a shopping center. Right. People want to go to a car show on Hilton Head and see how the rich and famous live. Yeah. So we don't want to do a car show, we want to do a concour. Well, what's a Concours? So I went everything from cars and coffee to little local shows to club shows. Uh, went through an iteration to brought us up to Concour. Which is the pinnacle of car shows. And I said, hey, We got to get rid of this space. Why? I said, How many cars you want to put out there? Well, many maybe we can get. I said, You can't get many because of those boxes sticking up everywhere. And where are you going to park the trucks? They said, What trucks? I said, High end cars. They come in trailers or trucks. Yeah. And I said, You can have, I said, How many cars you want? They said, 100. I said, Okay, you put six, maybe eight cars in a lift gate, soft tie down truck. And so you divide eight into 100. And that's how many trucks you're going to have, people. <laughs> yeah. And they said, really? I said, now let me tell you what you don't seem to know. A truck, you need to leave a 10-foot wide. They're usually 70-foot long. So you leave a 10-foot wide, 70-foot footprint. Then you put the gate down, which is another 15 or 20 foot. Then you got to have room for the car to roll off, which is another 15 or 20 foot. So I said, you have a footprint that's 10 by 115 or 20 foot. And... That's not all because invariably the guy with the car and he wants his car right now is the very one in the front on the top. Yeah. So they got to unload the car somewhere to get to that gentleman's car. So where do you think? They put them alongside the truck. So I said, you need two spaces, a total of 20 foot by 115 to 20 foot to park one truck. So take that much square feet times ever how many trucks you just figured out you wanted and you're going to have a parking problem. Yeah. They looked at each other like deers in the headlights. And I, they said, well, we got this place. I said, let me make a recommendation. Go back to the city. Get on your knees and tell them. We didn't really understand what we were getting into. And would you please give our money back? Yeah. And they said, don't. Just scratch it off. as the cost of a learning experience. So then we spent the next couple of trips, because we made a trip every two weeks, my wife and I, hunting around the island to find a place big enough that we could not only park trucks and have a show, but also handle the general public park. And at that time, the biggest thing we could find available was Honeyhorn Plantation on the island. Mm-hmm. And we used that for, for probably seven or eight years. Um, but The show kept growing and we eventually outgrew that. So I guess to answer your question shortly, I've been involved since day one. I got involved because of another event that I was doing. And the gentlemen that I met there were outstanding, in fact, there was a retired doctor named Paul Doring there who who was excited about it. Uh, and he called two, or three times a week and ask questions. And he was good because he listened. He'd ask questions. He'd go back and tell the group what they needed to be doing. So he became the boots on the ground at Hilton Head. So Paul and I were fortunate enough to work together. He was a wonderful gentleman. And we we started they had Concord. Now, one of the things that we had working against us was they couldn't find any weekend to do it except November. Normally, Hershey's over the the sec- second weekend in October. And anybody that's a car person, and on the East Coast particularly, is going to go to Hershey. So they go there, maybe show their car. They come home, clean their car, put it away for the winter. So now we've got to convince them to keep their car serviceable for another two weeks. And that isn't as easy as it sounds. So the first promos we did, we said, you think you got a good car? Well, you're going to have to prove it. Because we're going to do a concours, and we only going to invite the best-in-class and best-in-show winners. Mm. And if you're not here, you're not going to be amongst them. You won't know if you got the best car or not. <laughs> and most people said, okay, we're going to do one more show. Well, then, then we decided we had one thing that nobody else, no car show, no concours, On the planet, good feature. You always want to see what you've got that nobody else has got. And what we had was Southern hospitality. You can't can that. I don't know if anything called Northern hospitality, but I know we have Southern hospitality. People usually rave about it. So I said, I want everybody thanking everybody. If we even have old costumes, let's wear old costumes. But we want to make people feel good and welcome that they came. And every year, our attendees... They go out the gate talking about what a grand time and what hospitality they saw.
0: Wow. Fascinating history on this event. Holy cow, we went down a road I didn't know we were, we were going to head down. Paul, you're such an interesting guy. I'd like to ask my guest about a driving inspiration. Someone who is a mentor in your life, perhaps an influential person. Who, who was a key influential person in your life?
1: All right. And as I mentioned to you earlier, there's actually it's a fork. I had people that influenced me personally and maybe helped me build character. And then I had people who influenced me uh, because of their accomplishments and were kind enough to mentor me. My first one that would come to mind was an elderly gentleman named Tiny Harley. Um, I met him because our next door neighbor when I was growing up on the florist and she called me one day and said, you come by the florist on the way up to school. And I went by there and she introduced me to a lady named Harriet Harley. And she, and she said, Paul, Jane tells me you like to build remote control airplanes. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, my brother does, too. And we both live in a house we were born in, two blocks from here. And he's got terminal cancer. Uh, and they cut him open to see what they could do, and they just sewed him back up. And they gave him six months. And it would mean so much to him and to me if you would just go by there and introduce yourself and maybe talk airplanes with you. Mm-hmm. All right, then, Mark first thing went through my mind was I'm 13 years old. I don't want to go visit old people, no. especially old people that's dying. Yeah. But if I don't go, she's going to tell my parents and I'm going to never hit the end up. So I got on my bicycle and rolled there and knocked on the door and a little short fella named tiny answered the door and probably wasn't five foot tall and said, yes. I said, are, are you Mr. Harley? Yes. I said, your sister said that since I like airplanes, I should come talk to you," he said. Hmm, "Come on in, Hoss. You always call me Hoss." Hoss. He opened the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, this guy was a third grade dropout, but he was a mechanical genius. Wow. We sat at the table. He took a napkin. He t- he do- doodled out a schematic. We went upstairs. The whole attic had been floored and turned into a workshop. We got some transistors and stuff out and followed the diagram on its napkin. And in just no time at all, we had built a two-transistor walkie-talkie. He hooked it up to a 200-foot ground plane. And the next thing I know, we were talking to somebody in Albuquerque, New Mexico.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. And
1: it was just, um, if he needed, God, Mark, he needed a milling machine. He built a milling machine.
0: My goodness! He needed
1: a lathe. He built a lathe. He taught me how to, to work with metal, how to think logically. He taught me electronics. He taught me metalworking, machine shop. He spent more time with me than my father did. My father, we had six children. He was an immigrant. He spent all his time trying to support the family. Yep. He was a good father, but he didn't. He didn't take me fishing or anything like that. Tiny would come my house and pick me up and we go fishing, or no, we do this, or we'd do that, we... He had a 1938 Austin. that had a dynamotor in the trunk because he had a CB radio, a police radio, an AM radio, an FM radio, a ham radio, and he had to have a dynamotor to power all that equipment, all in this little car. It was like a rolling radio station. He, he's the one I actually attribute to my wanting to be an engineer because he taught me to be curious, and he taught me how to go about solving a problem when you may not even have a starting point.
0: This is a wonderful story and a great lesson for young people to spend time with older people because they can teach yeah. you an awful lot of things, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, is I've heard over the years, and I tend to agree with it, they say every time an old person dies, a library burns.
0: Oh, yeah that that is true. Yeah, it's a great thought. What a what a fortunate thing you had in your life. We're going to take a short break. We come back I want to talk a little bit more about some cars in your life. So sit tight and we'll be right back. How did you discover your path to a fulfilling life? Too many young people flounder in finding an education and a career that fits. But for those who have a passion for cars, trucks and motorcycles, and who love working with their hands, problem solving and fixing things, a career as a professional auto technician is incredibly rewarding. Carsia yeah! is pleased to team up with TechForce Foundation, our charity of choice in bringing scholarships, technical education and hands-on experience to young people so they can discover a possible future. Join me and lend your support by visiting techforce.org today. I've discovered linkage Paul, I always like to talk about cars. You love cars. You have some very special cars in your life. Is there one car that really stands out for you, though? Is is that possible to pick maybe one in your history that really stands out for you?
1: Yeah, yes, I can. Actually, I want to do two. Just one real quick. I have a 28 Ford AR Model A Roadster, which is a research car. The first convertible uh, antique car that I owned. So it's always been near and dear to to us. Uh, My youngest son got his driver's license in it. I've taught the children to drive it. So it's a family car. The one that really stands out, there was an automobile built in South Carolina from 1916 to 1925. And it was called an Anderson. It was built in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And during that time period, they built uh, 5,553 cars. Today, there's only seven that remain. Wow. Wow. I wanted an Anderson bad because I was a car guy, and it was built in South Carolina. And I want people to know that, that during history, we had done more than just grow cotton and make cloth. We had actually built a car at one time. So I started hunting Anderson, and I hunted 23 years for Anderson. Wow. Every spring, I ran an ad in, in Old Cars Weekly and Cars and Parts and Hemmings Motor News. Wanted. Anderson, anybody? Style, any year. I never got the first response. Wow. Twenty-three years later, through a fluke, uh, I got a call from a guy. I did not run an ad that year. He said, "Are you the gentleman that runs ads for Anderson every year?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, when I didn't see it this year, I figured you'd either found one or died." Uh And I said, (laughs) "I'm still (laughs) here." (laughs) Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just a little late. And why are you asking? He says, because I got one. I want to sell you. I uh-huh. said, you got a What year? It's a 1920. I said, what are you, how come you didn't call me? He said, I got a friend. who has got 27 cars in his collection. He's always promised to sell it to me. And this is going to be the year because he can't hardly get around. And there's only five cars in the collection I want. So I pencil somebody's name and phone number next to every car I didn't want. So when I bought the collection, I could call those people and, re- and get my money back to that particular as quickly as <laughs> possible. And I put you down to the Anderson about nine or ten years ago. Wow. And I said, Why in the world didn't you call
0: me? <laughs> he said, Because I figured as persistent as you were, you were gonna find me. Oh, wow. What a story. That's absolutely incredible. Well, there's a a message for all of us hunting cars. Be persistent, uh, be tenacious, and eventually the car you want will show up. Paul, you're such an interesting guy. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here and be a a car psychologist. Okay? okay? If you were manifest as a vehicle, what would you be, but more importantly, why?
1: Well, let me me say this. as As you've seen in my collection, it's very collecting, and it runs 198 to 19, uh, actually it's 2001. Um, I like Full Classics, I own a number, but I love pre-teen cars, early cars, because that's the period when an engineer didn't have anything to copy. He was trying to figure out what car should be, and it was a man against the road kind of an attitude. For instance, one of my cars is a 198 Cadillac, okay? Uh, I was very lucky. It, it won all the major concours in the country. It even won Pebble Beach. But if I show you that car, 19 and eight. 19 and eight was still a horse-drawn world. Yep. Guys were still trying to figure out what a car should be. This car, it's got rack and pinion steering, a brake equalizer system, a true differential with six spur gears in it. I jack it up, turn one wheel, the other one turns the other way. A fully automatic transmission, a water overflow tank, uh, two two miles on the gas tank. I open the first one and I, and I can go uh, seven miles. When the car runs out, I open the second one and I got three miles left. And Volkswagen used to advertise that. But here's a 19.8 Cadillac that had it. <laughs> wow. um, I can adjust the valve timing while I'm sitting on the steering column. I can increase or decrease the dwell time on the intake valve right there uh, from. From the seat. Uh, today they call that CVCC or VANOs. But yeah. it was. Wow. And, they, and most of these things I just told you still exist in the automobile today. Amazing. Because they were well, well thought out. The only thing is a transmission, planetary, pushed your foot on it to engage the gear. And today a hydraulic cylinder does that. And even fast forward to more today, it's an electric transmission. Uh, and the magnetism does that. But the principles are
0: the same. Wow, that's amazing! Now the Lemay Museum here in Tacoma, uh, very near me, they have a very old Cadillac there. Correct? It's a it's
1: a six, and I'm delighted you mentioned the Lemay. I was fortunate enough to to know Harold before he passed away. Yep. And when they, uh, David Madeira put together the group to start trying to plan the museum and to raise money, um, I was asked to be on the board of directors. And basically, I don't like being on the board of directors because they're the people that are leaned on to go to their friends to get money or to stroke and check themselves. I'd rather be involved from a hands-on standpoint. So I was one of the first steering committee members of the LeMay uh, from, the, from the day the group was put together up until this past year. And I rolled off because you only get so many years in then they roll you off. But I've, I've, got, I've been told that there's a good chance I'll be rolled back on the first <laughs> And I'm hoping so because I was involved in that museum. From the date of the brick and mortar started, uh, it's a wonderful museum. Absolutely wonderful.
0: In fact, they've got a, a new director there, Tabitha, that will breathe some fresh air into that. And uh, Brad Brad Phillips, who just joined uh, yep. as, as operating officer. And so, it, yeah, it's a wonderful place. And uh, in fact, that old Cadillac they had, I took a picture of my kids in that car for a Christmas card one year. So, oh, uh, great. Yeah, great. it was really cool. Is, is there a book that you'd like to share with our listeners today, Paul, that you're really fond of?
1: You know, when I was younger, I loved reading novels and things like that. I read more tech manuals and shop manuals today and magazines than anything. But there is a book. A few years ago, and I'm guessing five or six years ago now, people kept telling me, there's a book you need to read and you fly so much you can get it in the airport and you could probably read it on one plane trip and I'd go to get it. And it was called the Art of Driving in the Rain. Uh-huh. I bet yeah. I went 10 times and it was always sold out. So finally when I got it, I read the thing in, in a, two sittings, and it was wonderful because my wife and I, we have animals. We love animals. It was great to have a car story to- told from the side of the animal's perspective. Yeah. And such a great story. My niece, she's an, an avid reader, and we were talking on the phone one day, and she said, Uncle Paul, have you got anything you'd recommend? I said, I'm going to send you a book, and let me know what you think of it. So I sent her the book. About three days later, she called back. She said, "I couldn't put it down. The best book I have ever read. Can you send me another book?"
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that book is by Gar Stein. He's been a guest here on Cars. Yeah, he lives up here in the Pacific Northwest, and so I've oh wonderful uh, yeah I've been able to meet him a few times. So I have to say that, along with AJ Bames, uh, "Go Like Hell" are the two most recommended books here. On cars, yeah, so I'm glad you brought that one up. It's a, it's a great, great book. Now, it is. I have a, a a magic wand that enables me to take my guess on what I call the ultimate drive. That means you can pick any vehicle in the world, any person to be with, and any road to drive on. For a guy like you, who's done so many things around cars, if you could do anything and go anywhere in any car, what would it be, Paul? Okay, you're probably not going to like this answer. <laughs>
1: But I've already I've already done it, and I can tell you who. In 2015, um, I was part of a team from the HCA. We res- resurrected 1915 Model T, and we left from Fair Lane, in, in that's Henry Ford's house in Dearborn, and we followed the exact route that Edsel did when he graduated from high school. Pan American Expo was going on. Uh, it was a World's Fair acre, It was a pretty big fair. Henry went out there with some guys in some parts, and they built a little assembly line because people on the West Coast seldom got to see a car built. And so they actually manufactured 16 Model T's a day, and then he sold them. And so Edson says, let's go see what's going on out there and what Daddy's doing. Well, Edson went down to Highland Park, him and a friend, and picked up a brand new Model T-turn, 15 model. He had two friends that took a Stutz, and two friends that took a, a Cadillac, and they headed out. Well... They, it, there were no roads. They followed wagon paths. And uh, it was the first time, supposedly, that a trip coast-to-coast had been made purely for the pleasure of it. Prior to that, all trips made more for advertising purposes, generally in a race format. Well, we're going across country. Um, we pull in. Once we hit the Pacific Coast Highway, we're going up the coast. We pull in at Laguna Seca for a historic weekend, and we park the Model T there. And we walk around looking at cars, and I come back, and there's a lady standing there taking pictures, you know, and as I walked up to her, I recognized her as Lynn St. James. <laughs> I said, Lynn, what are you doing? She said, I've been following you guys on the Internet. What a wonderful trip. I would so wish that I was with you. And I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> she said, "Why?" I said, "Cause come over and get in the car. You're going to ride with me." Wow! So she did. Nice. She showed up in that 15T. She gets in the car. Oh, she's she's all excited and she says, "How fast are we going to be going?" <laughs> yeah. I said, "Oh, between 35 and 45." And she looks at me and says, "You do realize that I'm used to riding at 200 miles an hour?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'm going to show you what scenery looks like." And life is in the slow light. Yeah. And so she wrote a couple of hard of mine for me that day. We laughed, cut up, just had a wonderful time. And to this day, every time I see Lynn, he comes up and we hug each other. And she says, best trip I ever made.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: And I can't think of a person better to do it with because she's experienced all kinds of things in the high-performance world, and yet she was generous enough to spend time with a lowly Concord guy like
0: me. (laughs) Well, that's pretty darn cool. My neighbor, Bruce, across the street had one for a while and used to take my kids for rides in that around our neighborhood. Uh, Definitely is something unique. But uh, Lynn's been a guest several times on the show here. Uh, So that put a big smile on her face. You know, before I let you go today, is there maybe a parting word of thought or advice you might have for our listeners to encourage them to attend the Hilton Head Concord Elegance and Motoring Festival?
1: Well... I'm going to say two things. Number one, if you can only go to one show, that's the one to go to. <laughs> I don't know, but for your, for your listeners, let me say this. I mentioned to you about the vintage Racing. This year, we're not going to be able to do that due to, to some construction restraints. But, just to give you an example, for Hiltnet itself, Friday, we have a tour. Saturday, we have a club day, which normally has 220 cars or so. On This is on the 18th hole. On the 17th hole, we've got a Grand CCCA Grand Classic. We've got a National Stutz meet. We've got a Legend of the Audubon meet. We've got a BMW October Oktoberfest. All that's on the 17th hole. Wow. Okay. And then Sunday, we have the, the Concorde. So where can you go for one ticket and get that much exposure to that many cars on two golf holes? Take 17th and 18th hole to do that. Plus, we have a hangar party with vintage warplanes and the cars at the airport, which is right next door. So that's the encouragement for them to come to Hilton Head. Now, as for my few words of advice, I always tell everybody to to be honest, be truthful, because if you ever want to prevaricate, you have trouble remembering who you told it to, and pretty soon you're prevaricating to everybody. (laughs) And people remember that. Believe it or not, people remember that. And I've often been told, isn't it a shame that when you go to college, they don't have a course, and it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I've preached that for years to my family and my friends, and, and I had 750 employees at Michelin, I preached it to them, and I truthfully thought that was the right sermon. And years and years ago, I realized I'd been preaching the wrong sermon. It's not
0: who you know, it's who knows you. (laughs) Nicely done. Oh, my goodness. You are a wealth of knowledge and fun and stories. I think we could talk for hours and hours. I want to encourage everyone to go and check out the Hilton Head Island Concord Elegance and Motoring Festival, again, taking place November 5th, 6th, and 7th. But it really is a much longer event, as Paul told us. You can get tickets and attend. Just go to HHIConcourt.com. Also, a shout out to Lindsay Harrell, president of the Hilton Head Concord for bringing Paul and I together today. Although, Paul and I met back in 2014 at the LeMay Gala event, so we've known each other for a long time. Yep. Paul, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for kind of talking through this poor horse throat that you have from being at Pebble Beach. By the time you get to Hilton Head, you'll be back to normal Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at the Hilton Head Concours Elegance and Motoring Festival. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mark. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up.